Hey everyone and welcome to the Year Was, the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host, Michael Montalvo, and for the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes today truly unique. On this episode, we examine the events that occurred March 11th. The story of Romeo and Juliet is interesting. It's a whirlwind romance between teenagers that results in their marriage and death all in the course of about three days. Written by William Shakespeare, it was most likely written between 1591 and 1596 and first performed somewhere around 1597. We don't really know because no record survived before 1660. It is one of Shakespeare's most well-known tragedies. They have made countless adaptations, stage productions, radio movies, and books written about it. It has been parodied and etc, etc, etc. So what is it about this play and its writing and its story that makes it today's topic? The year was 1302. And on this day, March 11th, Romeo and Juliet are said to have been married by William Shakespeare. As in, he said it was on this day. He didn't marry them. They're fictional characters, so he couldn't marry them. Plus, they were like 13. To briefly recap the story, two families were mad at each other. And one day they start fighting and the prince says the next person to fight will be killed. So the Capulets, Juliet's family, have a big party, so Father Capulet can introduce Juliet to Paris, and they can marry. Romeo, Benvolio, and Mercutio, the Montagues, sneak in and Romeo sees Juliet and falls in love. But her cousin Tybalt, played here by John Leguizamo, sees them and forces them to leave. Romeo can't leave, though, and creeps outside the house, specifically Juliet's window spying on her, all in the name of love. They declare their love for one another, and for some reason Juliet's nurse helps the two by arranging their marriage by Father Lawrence, all after roughly 24 hours of having met. So the two are now married, but shh, it's a secret. John Leguizamo challenges Romeo to a duel, but he refuses, and this angers Mercutio for some reason and then he goes on to fight John Leguizamo. Romeo tries to stop the fight, but Mercutio is killed. John Leguizamo flees, but is killed by Romeo in revenge, and as punishment, is banished by the prince instead of being killed, as he previously mentioned. Juliet learns of the death of Tybalt, and Romeo's very lenient punishment. Friar Lawrence arranges for the pair to spend the night together, but Juliet's marriage to Paris is moved up. Her parents have the audacity to be mad when she says she doesn't want to marry Paris, and honestly, who wants to marry a city? Juliet asks Friar Lawrence for a sleeping potion, poison, which he gives her, which she takes, and appears to be dead. A message is sent to Romeo, but the plague is in Verona, where the play is set, I forgot to mention that part, and so he never receives it. Eventually, upon hearing of her death, He returns, goes to the tomb, and kills Paris, who is there grieving like a sane person would. He then drinks poison, real poison, and dies. 
That's when Juliet decides to wake up and is all, whoopsie. She takes a dagger and stabs herself, killing herself, all for a guy she just met. The prince, the friar, and the Capulets, and Romeo's father all enter to see what their fighting has done and vow to erect a statue in honor of the memory of the titular characters. The lesson here? I don't know. Don't rush into things. But that's being a teenager, I guess. Romeo and Juliet was popular in its day, and really still is. It was designed to be performed in daylight with minimal sets and props, and because of that, the audience was forced to focus more on the words being said. Despite this, up until the mid-1600s, it was performed only rarely, and when it was performed, it was changed quite a bit. In fact, at one point, it was renamed the History of Caius Marius, the setting was changed to Ancient Rome, and the leads renamed Marius and Lavinia. This version also placed greater importance on the politics of the story instead of the love. Around 1744, it was restored to its more original form. I say it that way because some of the changes made prior to this point were actually kept in. David Garrick set up a production in 1748, and this was actually met with great success, even though, or perhaps because, they removed some of Shakespeare's more risque jokes. This was actually the version that would be the most well-known and performed for over a century. The downside of this version was that it reduced the roles of Mercutio and greatly simplified the role of Juliet. By the 19th century, the role of Juliet was seen as something of a rite of passage and a must-have important role for any actress striving for greatness. But Juliet wasn't the only role that had women fighting for it. In a move that was the opposite of the all-male cast of yesterday, women now began playing the role of Romeo during this time. The Royal Shakespeare Company claims that the most successful of these were American Charlotte Cushman and her sister. By the time the play reached the 20th century, it would see itself as a musical, with many composers tackling the project, including that of Tchaikovsky, and was making its way towards film. So... What is it about this play that's so endearing to us? Perhaps it's because it's all about love. I think most people want to believe in love and hold out hope for it. It's an emotion that can overpower us and fuel us much as anything else. Because one of the main points is love, it's no coincidence that hate plays a huge role as well. It's the opposing force and the fuel that drives Tybalt against Romeo. The biggest argument for the play's longevity, however, is something a bit simpler. It is typically a person's first exposure to Shakespeare, and is arguably seen as the easiest to read. But was it Shakespeare who wrote it? Like anything Shakespeare-related, there is some debate as to whether or not he actually wrote it. In 1476, Masuccio Salernitano, pronunciation was terrible on that, had his work Il Novello published after his death, and in the 33rd chapter it tells the story of Mariato and Gianosa, two lovers from feuding families who, with the help of a friar, secretly marry before Mariato kills a nobleman and is forced to flee. Gianosa's father decides it's time that she marry, but with the friar's help, she takes a sleeping potion to appear dead. Mariotto 
returns to see her one last time but is captured and killed. Giannoza wakes and, heartbroken, dies like some kind of senator in a Star War. Now, these two are certainly very similar, but was enough change to say that they are separate works. Reusing ideas is nothing new and is still in practice today. People make careers out of it. The Lion King is nothing more than one of Shakespeare's other works, Hamlet, as well as Kimba the White Lion, and if you really want to see the Disney version of Romeo and Juliet, you only need to watch The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Simba's Pride is both his group of lions and his daughter. It's kind of a play on words. So it turns out Romeo and Juliet may be nothing more than the modern equivalent of sampling a track or writing some fan fiction reserved only for Friday. People reuse stories because it's a safe bet to work with established properties or characters, but by finding a way to update and modernize these stories, we find new ways to share them and keep them alive. There was most certainly a version of Romeo and Juliet before Shakespeare, but we remember the Shakespeare version because it is the most reproduced. And that's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps me keep this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme and to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.